attention to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're looking together today at the fruit of the Spirit. We continue as we have looked uh, at uh, several of those fruits already. And as we look today at the fruit of patience, I, I know that there is always some, some difficulty with this one. Let me do, as you're turning to 2 Peter 3, a, a very non-scientific survey. How many of you think it's a, a good thing and important for us as Christians to pray for patience? Raise your hand. How many of you say, no way, Jose, I'm not about to pray that prayer? We got a few of you out there that say that. And when you see the statement of affirmation today, you're going to appreciate this. Let's look together, in fact, at that first if we can. Let's read our statement of affirmation. I take a long time to overheat and endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. When we got ready to print the bulletin this week, it was Thursday, it was 97 degrees. I almost changed that statement and said, it doesn't take long to overheat at all in this culture. And some of you don't appreciate that or didn't, but that's all right. I, I do. You'll go home, you'll get to lunch, and you'll go, that was pretty funny right there, preacher. I take a long time to overheat. Many of us are short-fused with things that are around us. As I think about patience, I want to continue to help guide our church into a discipling mindset that says the purpose of our life is not so that we can be comfortable and happy. The purpose of our life is that we will become holy and that we will be created in the image of Jesus, that we'll be fashioned into the likeness of the Son of God. And all of the trials and the difficulties of life point us toward that way. And as we begin to think about patience over things that actually matter, then, then I think you'll, you'll begin to see maybe a shift today, hopefully in your mind, that maybe your fuse will shorten, uh, will lengthen a little bit. Maybe your fuse won't be uh, so quick. Now, I have told you by personal confession that a sermon like this is good for my soul. You know that your pastor is not a very patient man. My mom would tell you that I, I have worn my clothes out from the time I was little, from the inside out, never still, always moving. I pace in front of my microwave. I have told you that there's not a theological construct in my mind for the existence of purgatory, but if there is any place close to that here on earth, it's the yellow line that they make you pull up to at a drive-thru. I just expect that I ought to get my food when I order it, how I order it, and leave in a very timely fashion. And if they make me pull up and wait, I just have trouble. I struggle. I'm not a very patient person. And yet the Lord is shaping me. And so I hope that this is an exercise for all of us in sanctification today. Let's look together at 2 Peter chapter 3. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we look at this text, I'll give you just a very, very brief setup. Peter is writing to a group of believers who are facing intense persecution. They are in a hostile world, a world that is scoffing at their faith. A world that is more and more disenchanted with the idea that there is a, a God that they would be subject to. It sounds a lot like our day. And, and as Peter writes to them, he, he shares with them and with us that this is the condition in which the normal Christian life will exist. So as we look at this, I, I think you'll see some application for patience today. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets 
and by the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Look at verse 3, very important. Know this, first of all, that in, this last, in the last days mockers will come with their own mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when the, they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of the Lord? Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are now looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Perhaps you're here today for the first time and you say, well, this is going to be one of those fire and brimstone type sermons. I mean, it's all about judgment. But I want you to see with me some characteristics of God from this text that may lend themselves to how you and I should live our lives patiently with those who scoff our faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of studying your word. Thank you for preserving your word for us and protecting it for us so that we might uh, draw strength from it this very day. I pray, God, that you would continue to use your word in a powerful way in our lives and even in the rest of this time together that you would speak to us very clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. I've told you before, I'm not very good at waiting. I'm not good at, at, at keeping surprises. When, when Christmas rolls around or a birthday rolls around, it, it doesn't take much convincing for Stephanie to talk me into telling her what I got her for an anniversary or a, present, a, a, a birthday present. I, I'm just immediately want to say, you want to see it now? I mean, I'm just not patient. And sometimes the, the bigger the surprise for us, the harder it is to wait. I, I can remember with with unbelievable angst, waiting for our parents to wake up on Christmas morning so we could rush in. Uh, patience is just kind of a unique thing. I, I saw a, little, uh, a story about a little boy who was being very, very patient. He was waiting at the bottom of the escalator, and a lady came to him very worried. In this day and age, he was by himself, and they said, uh, she said, son, are you lost? And he said, no, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And she said, well, are your parents coming? Are you waiting on your parents to come down the escalator? And he said, no, I'm fine. I'm just waiting. Well, who are you waiting for? He said, I'm waiting for my chewing gum to come back around. I suppose that was worth waiting for, for him. I want you to see a couple of things about patience 
very, very quickly. In fact, the Bible says a lot about being patient. In the book of Proverbs, it says this. It says, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. A patient man is one who demonstrates godliness. And, and because of the mercy that we understand about our God, that He's not destroyed all of us already, uh, that verse just fits in so well. When we are quick-tempered, we display folly. And we get ourselves in trouble when we fly off the handle or when we let our mouth engage before our brain is engaged. And we respond quickly to pressure that's around us and not do so patiently. Let me give you two quick thoughts about patience, and then we're going to begin to walk through this text. One is this. Patience is a result of consistently walking in the goodness and love of God. Patience is a result of consistently walking in the goodness and love of God. For the past several weeks, we've talked about being in step with the Spirit of God. There in Galatians 5, it says to be in sync with or in step with the Spirit walking in the Spirit. And when you and I consistently walk in the goodness and the love of God, then patience is one of those fruits that just begins to emerge. We're not rattled by things. We're not controlled by circumstances. And we don't spend our lives responding or reacting, but acting, just simply walking with the Lord. The second thing I would say, if that's what patience really comes from or stems from, let me tell you about frustration. Frustration stems from this, when expectation and reality collide. When you have one expectation and reality comes to being and comes to bear on that expectation and they don't match up with each other and they clash with each other, that's when we find ourselves frustrated. Now, moving forward from that with this text of Scripture, again, Peter is writing and he's describing the environment in which Christians live the Christian life. He's describing, in fact, go back to verse 3 with me, if you will, for a moment. Very simply, it says that scoffers will come. It says that in these last days, mockers or scoffers will come in their mocking. Now, I want you to learn something very quickly with me, and we're going to move to some very practical application in a moment. But I want you to see this. When he mentions the last days, it's not just the last generation before Jesus comes back. Sometimes we think that. We think, we read in the Bible and it says the last days and we're waiting for those days to happen. I've heard preachers say, well, we must be in the last days. I mean, things are getting bad. Let me explain to you that we have been in the last days for a long time. The last days describe the period of time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming or the next coming of Jesus. In fact, if you were to look in places in Scripture like in the book of Acts, in Acts 2.17, there uh, the writer of Scripture is quoting from Joel and he said, in the last days God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And that is at the time of Pentecost. It's happening right there in front of them. And so we understand that they were in the last days. It's this period of time waiting for Jesus to come back. And that should maybe in some light help us think about patience. God's not in a hurry. These last days have been quite some time. And as we read through 2 Peter 3, I think that you will see very clearly some characteristics of God that are going to help you. As we look at Peter's writing about the sovereignty of God and the sufficiency of Christ to give us everything that we need for life and for godliness, Peter says that this is the experience of the church. And you and I should not at all be shocked by opposition to or hostility toward the gospel. 
Let me say that again. You and I should not at all be surprised by opposition toward the gospel. They're going to scoff. They're going to follow their evil desires, he said. We should never be surprised by this. The nature of the human heart is to push God away. People want to live their own life, their own way. They don't want the authority of God. And because of that, when we think about it, by nature, we cannot please God. We will not seek God, and we don't love God. And consequently, we we begin to think about that. We reject God's Word and follow after our own path. Following Christ, then, for those who have been redeemed, you and me, in a God-rejecting world, is incredibly difficult. We've got to understand that we have everything that we need. Peter says that. You've got everything you need for life and for, for godliness. Think about this, though. You and I live in a world that does not see the glory of God, does not believe the Word of God, does not walk in the way of God. I mean, think with me in the last hundred years of life. We went through a, an, a, an evolutionary period where we said that, that maybe, just maybe, God was not the source of all creation. There's no Creator. And then we've gone through a wave of postmodernism that says not only is there no creator, but there's no truth, that it's relative. And now we're coming to almost a new atheism all around us that says there is no God. There are books filling the bookstores of things that like this, God is not great, or that God is dead. And as we think about that kind of world, don't be surprised because it's not new. Peter said in his day and in these days, that will be the case. But the reality is, I don't know about you, but I find myself frustrated. I watch the news. I watch the culture around. I just become frustrated with those things and at times become angry at the scoffers that I meet. Maybe you've got somebody that you work with or you go to school with that just mock your faith. They don't believe in God and you find yourself frustrated at them. I want you to see this. An angry Christianity never advances the purposes of God. An angry Christianity never advances the purposes of God. So how are we to be patient? And now I want everybody to sit up straight. This is what I told our students at camp. I want you to sit up straight and I want to see every eyeball for just a second. All right. The practical application is this. It's one thing for your preacher to stand up here and talk about how we should be patient with lost people that are out there in the world. Every single family, every person here knows someone, loves someone that's not following God. And the practical application is how am I to be patient in the midst of them scoffing. How am I to be patient? They're they're a million miles away from where I wish they were. They've been rebellious. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild. Maybe it's a, a dear friend, and they scoff at your faith, and they laugh at your faith, and they've pushed away from God, and your heart breaks for them. So I, I want to talk about patience over something that matters. You've cried out to God, oh God, how long will it be before they turn? How long will it be before you draw them? How long, God? And I want you to see that the love of these characteristics will begin to help us see some things. In fact, that's what Second Peter 3 is all about. As we look at this, Peter doesn't offer a quick fix, but he offers a new attitude. And so today, I want us to look at that. In verse 1, he says, I've written these things as reminders to call you to wholesome thinking. 
And it's much like Paul's words in Romans 12 where he says, by the renewing of your mind, that, that he's saying, I'm stirring you up to think about these things rightly. Fill your mind with God and who He is and everything you need for patience. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right off the bat all three points. You can fill them in as we go. Don't do it now. You don't need to do. But I want to give you three truths and wholesome thinking about these glorious truths about God will help you to be patient, merciful, and filled with grace. And here they are. God is eternal. God is patient. God is merciful. Now some of you will write all three of those down and check out. Stay with me. Number one, God is eternal. Look with me back to our text. As we look at the text together in verse 8, do not let this one fact escape you or your notice that the Lord, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Our God operates outside of time and yet He operates in time. Our God works in our lives. And so what's happening in your life and in my life looks drastically different from the perspective of God. You think about that. Eternity is so vast, our minds can't even comprehend it. But God gives us an analogy here, maybe to at least point our minds in the right direction. Think about this. He says, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. Day. We've read that passage before. You've probably heard some things said about it. But I want to give you some just quick thoughts with the Lord. I want to start with the second half of the, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years. Let me just share this with you. Life on earth, from God's perspective, is very, very short. I, I did a little calculation. You may check me on this. But think about this. Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago. And so on this time scale... If a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day with the Lord, Abraham was born on Wednesday. King David was born on Thursday. Jesus Christ arrived on Friday. And if you and I see the Lord's favor and He allows one more day to pass, by tomorrow morning, 30 more generations will come. On that scale, your life and my life, if we live to be 70 years old, our life is about 100 minutes long. An hour and a half. In God's perspective, I want you to see this. God is not worried about his enemies. You think about all the fuss that's gone into the presidential election just to get to the place to see who's actually going to run for president. Regardless of who is elected, once elected, they will serve a term of four years, perhaps extending into two terms of eight years. On that scale, a four-year presidency in the mind and the eyes of God is about five minutes. Ten minutes if it goes into a second term. The Bible says that when the evil begin to scoff and rage, you know what God does from His throne? He laughs. God is not worried about the things that are around. And you and I should stop worrying about those things too. You see, part of our frustration, because we have certain expectation, and a different reality meets it. Oh, the world is bad. Oh, the world is troubled. God's not troubled one iota. Think about this, if our lives up to 70 years is an hour and a half long roughly, all of us will be in the presence of God in an hour and a half. That ought to shake us. If I really believe that I would be in the presence of God in 100 minutes from now, I think I would act differently. I think there are some things I'd stop worrying about. 
I think there are some things that I would be a little more patient with. And the reality is, when we begin to see that God is eternal, it changes our perspective on the worries of life. Does that make sense to anybody? I would hope so. It also ought to cut down on our sense of self-importance. I mean, I live my life, and I think I'm so important, and God looks down on me, and an hour and a half from now, I'm gone. And the scoffer who doesn't know the Lord works like crazy to earn all kinds of money and to live his life boastfully saying, look at all I've done, look at all I am in an hour and a half. It's gone. The Bible uses two illustrations for it. In 1 Peter, he says people are like grass. They're just cut, wither, gone. James said it this way. He said it's like a mist or like a vapor. It's like taking a mirror and breathing your breath upon it. And a vapor is there, and then it's gone. Your life is like a vapor. Our life is so quick here on earth. And for you and I to be impatient about things that don't matter, maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe, if we would get an eternal perspective, if we would take Peter's encouragement to heart. Peter said, I'm just trying to stir up some thinking. God is eternal. And when we think about this eternal God and, and the, the time scale of heaven, we become less worried about those things and we begin to see that God is in control. Life on this earth is very, very short. I begin to think about this and the reality of the brevity of our lives. The whole of human history is very short in the perspective of God. Let me ask you today, what do you think really matters in life? I ask people that question all the time. Our church has been focused on what I value most and, and, and sharing our story. But think about this. Education, career, opportunities, investment, quality of life, health, travel, retirement. But as far as God is concerned and in God's perspective and all of us really are going to be in His presence in an hour and a half, none of those things seem to matter quite as much. So start getting it into your mind that with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day. In fact, the psalmist, Psalm 90, says, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days rightly so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then Peter says something different. He says a day is as a thousand years. So let's kind of flip that over. If life on earth is really, really short, and God's perspective of this whole thing is just so limited, He can see it in the palm of His hand from beginning to end all of time. Our little blip of life on the radar screen. But now we see the other way. A day is as a thousand years. I, I did a little calculation this week, and if that's true and you live to 70, from God's perspective, that's like 25 million years. Let, let me say that again, 25 million years. Some of you look really well preserved to be as old as you are. But I want to say it this way, that's a long time for God to put up with you and me. My sin has gone on for a long time. And this is, again, in the context of judgment. God has put up with me for a long, long time. We come here and we cling to the mercy of God. We gather week after week after week. We sing praises to God. We lift our voices to God. We read His Word and we study Him. And not one time at not any of those points has God said, I'm done with Him. I'm through with her. 
Oh, I'm so thankful that God has an eternal perspective. And as, as my life, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. And God has been patient with me. God has been uh, merciful and waited. And, and I think about that. If I could count my life God's way, I'd get a lot more done. Think about it. If a day is like a thousand years, I've got a lot to do this week. I'm leaving tomorrow for children's camp. I am thankful that tomorrow is not going to be like a thousand years. It will feel like a thousand years perhaps, but we'll get through it. But I I just got to thinking about this. I normally take Friday as my day off, but if I knew I had 7,000 years this week to get everything done I need to get done, I'd probably take tomorrow off. I just take the first thousand years off and and just contemplate everything I've got to get done. And in the next 6,000 years, I think I could get those things done. But here's what I want to say to you. If you've got that rebellious, wayward child or grandchild, and you've been longing for something to happen, and you've been impatiently waiting, God can do more in one second than Satan's done in 20 lifetimes to pull him away. God is in control. Be patient. The Lord's at work. Pray, he is not slow or slack counting his promises. We'll look at that verse here in a moment and see. But from his eternal perspective, God in control can do all things. Realize this, God's at perfect peace. You and I think about those loved ones and you've cried out and you've begged. And if we take this truth to heart, we'll have less fear about the secular world around us. Because God's in control. He's eternal. Number two, I want you to see this, God is patient. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. What is the promise that it's talking about? The promise of judgment. It it said that scoffers look and they say, nothing's changed. God promised we'd die. We're not dead yet. Now you know this, you have studied this, we've talked about it. Death in Scripture means separation. So we are separated from God already. It's like taking a a beautiful rose from a rose garden. I can cut it and put it in a vase. We can enjoy all of the, the, the wonder, aroma of its smell. We can enjoy the beauty and richness of its color, but it's dead. It's been cut off from the source of life. And you and I, at the moment of our birth, because we're born as sinners by nature and by choice and by practice, are cut off from a holy God. But the reality is for us, when we see this promise, the promise to judge the earth with fire as he once judged with water is coming. That's the context. If you go back to verse 7, he says it's going to happen. And people say, it hadn't happened yet. I guess it's not coming. Judgment delayed is not judgment denied. It will happen. Make no mistake. But, but think about this. You would expect this verse to say that God's not slow in keeping His promise, but He is patient with this unbelieving world of godless people. It doesn't say that. You know what it says? He is patient with you. Let that soak in for a moment. I don't know about you, but I find myself at, at myself, myself, both of us, I don't know if, Wow, this is getting bad. I find myself saying this. I can't wait for God to judge that person. I watch the news and I say, that person deserves judgment. This verse of Scripture says God was patient with you. Peter is speaking to believers, to Christians. You know what that ought to mean for you and me? We ought to stop and we say God's judgment 
was held off long enough for me to be saved. I don't know about you, but I have chill bumps thinking about the promise when Peter is writing with his quill and he sits down on a scroll there to begin writing it out and he says, God has been patient with you. And I know that you are suffering and I know that you're longing for judgment, but remember, God saved you and what did you deserve? What did Scott Hanbury deserve? What did the people of Hardy Street Baptist Church deserve? All of us. He's writing to Christians. And this is staggering. Your judgment was held off long enough for me to come in. This isn't a fire and brimstone message. This is a message about the glorious character of our God who is eternal and who is patient. He has waited for you and for me. There's the measure of His love and the measure of His grace and the measure of Jesus Christ toward you. He includes every believer in this statement here in verse 9. He says, God operates on this grand eternal scale, but He operates on an intimate level. And into this great plan for the whole history of the world is His grace for you and for me. Isn't that good? We ought to celebrate that today. Think about God's patience in your life. 25 million years, my sin's gone on a long time. And he has been patient with me. Well, think about this. That cynic that's at work, that rebellious child or grandchild, that rebellious spouse. Maybe you're married and you're, you're married to an unbelieving spouse. Maybe you have a friend or a classmate or someone you just dearly love and they have not at all turned toward the Lord. Maybe you should stop and look at them through the lens of the patience of God toward you. God's put up with me for a long time. I can be patient toward others. And those are matters that really matter. I mean, I get impatient about things that that don't make any real difference. And the bottom line is this, that judgment of God is, is a strange work. It says in Isaiah, look at number three with me. God is merciful. Verse 9, the God is not slow about His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any to perish. I know we're coming to the end of our time, but I want to make sure that we get this down. What does that mean? If God's not willing that any should perish, does that mean that everybody will be saved in the end? Yes or no? Will everybody go to heaven? Yes or no? No. In fact, again, the context of this passage is the judgment of God. Verse 7 says, fire is going to come and judge ungodly men. So what could it possibly mean? It means that judgment is a response of the justice of God. Think about this with me, and we'll, we'll wrap this all up. We'll bring it all back around to a close. The Bible says about God that God is love. Nowhere in Scripture does it say God is wrath. Patience is an exuding quality out of the love of God. Love just burst up. It is who He is. And judgment, as Isaiah said, is His strange work. In heaven's perspective, celebration happens over one who repents. Celebration doesn't happen over the judgment of God. In fact, three different times Ezekiel said, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. That's not who God is. And we've got such a warped mentality about God and this idea of fire and brimstone, this idea that He's this judgmental, wrath-filled God. 
That's not him. Our God is a loving God, and his patience and his mercy and his eternal perspective have allowed you and I long enough to be drawn in and be saved, and you and I ought to extend that same kind of mercy to others. Our lives ought to exude that. Now, we come full circle to the question, should we pray for patience? I think there's a bigger question. Here's why people have wrestled with that. They wrestle with it because they say, well, if I pray for patience, God is going to give me opportunities to exercise and experience patience. What I think is, is sad about that, it makes God look like some angry schoolmaster who's just waiting to wrap your knuckles. He's waiting to slap you down. That's not our God. So if God wants me to have patience, I want to pray for it, but I think that there's something even different. I think that's not even the right question. I need to pray that I would be more loving, and when I'm more loving, I will respond in patience. The Bible doesn't say God is patient, patient, patient. God is holy, and He is love. It says those things about Him. He acts patiently. He acts mercifully. He is eternal. For you and for me to begin to to see this, why don't you this week pray, God, make me a, a person that is more like Jesus Christ. And when you face the pressures of the world, the response won't be a quick overheating. The response will very simply be a patient, loving, spirit-filled response that looks like the heart of God. Now let me say this to you that are here today that have never trusted the Lord. This is the God that I've tried to describe to you. He is eternal and patient and loving, why in the world would you want to continue fighting with Him? He has waited long enough for you to be saved today. You can trust Him this very day. The gospel is very simple. You and I are separated from God because of our sin. And we owe the wage of that sin. And the Bible says the wage of our sin is death. We have earned separation from God eternally. You've heard me say this, church. Hell is ultimately the place where sinners get what they've always wanted, away from God. You didn't choose me or desire me in this life, and you don't have to be with me throughout eternity. And they're separate. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose not to be with God. And when God begins to draw them, when the Spirit of God begins to woo your heart and pull you toward Him, the response of love is this. God, with open arms, you are receiving me. I can't believe that. I'll give you my whole life. You trust Him that He will save you. You trust Him that He will embrace you. You trust Him that Jesus, who went to the cross and died, who owed no wage, paid for your wage. He put the payment of His death, your sin debt, on your account at the moment that you trusted Him. And if you've never done that, you can do so today. The the song, there's a simple praise song that says, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. But Jesus washed my sins away. Today, you can be saved. Members of our staff will be here at the front. We would love to share with you what it means to trust the Lord Jesus. Maybe today you need to come to the altar and just confess impatience. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, I want to be more loving. I want to live toward my rebellious, maybe maybe it is a, a prodigal, if you will. I want to just patiently trust you knowing that you can work in an instant and change everything maybe today you need to come to the altar even before uh, we leave today and just grab one of the cards and pray for that student or that child 
let's just let God have his way during this invitation time. Let's stand. Maybe today the need of your life is to unite with our church. We would love to have you as a part of this fellowship. You let God have his way this morning.